Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. It's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is necessary for keto success. Oh, yeah. Bacon. Or oh, ribeye. Or oh, ribeye. All good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but that it can taste better than any other food you ate before. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. It's about our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We're definitely not doctors and we don't give medical advice. Right. We just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and ribeye. Oh, yes, or, ribeye. <laughs> or, in my case, lamb chops. Right. We share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes. This is a science-based show. Carl brings the body science and I bring the food science because great recipes are really all about science. That's right. So let's start podcast number 156, Keto for Mental Health with Dr. George Ede. Before we dive in, though, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Yeah, actually, I do have one. Uh, Brenda Zorn contacted me and said that the Minnesota Keto Fest is not yet sold out. And Jeff Gerber has also added more tickets to Low Carb Denver, so that's not sold out. And I even think Amber's Carnivore event has expanded a little bit. So make sure you go back to last week's show, get the links, and go there if you're interested in those events. But other than that, People loved the Keto on a Budget show. Y'all, y'all did love that show. There's been a, a, a mountain of of yays and and sharing on social media. So thank you for that. Yeah. Because every time you share something that we put out, we're potentially helping a whole bunch more people to get healthier and and lead happier lives. So thank you. So before we start. Let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Right. That's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you burn fat for energy rather than glucose. The way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day, enjoy a moderate amount of protein, that's 1 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. What? Fat? Yes, fat. <laughs> so if you're just starting, listen to our Starting Keto show at start.2keto.com. So Carrie, what's new with you? Well, we had a marvelous time at the Minifest last weekend. Mm. I was tickled pink by the reactions to all the mini desserts that I made to share with everyone. Yes. The vanilla cranberry short Bread is still getting rave reviews. We shared the recipe on my blog last week. Awesome. And the apricot cardamom cupcake recipe just published on my blog this morning. We'll link in the show notes and share on our social media this week so you can make them too. Everything was so good. It, it, was, it was a really, really good time. Um, there was some fabulous people there. I've made some awesome new friends. I, I There's a... 
a couple I met there who apparently have had moose sightings in their backyard. So that I moose are my favorite. So I'm incredibly excited about accepting an invitation to go visit um, the northwest corner of Connecticut and maybe go moose spotting. I have some moose in my refrigerator. Do you now? Yes, it's chocolate. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> So this week I've been busy in the kitchen and writing up a ton of new recipes ready for publishing. Uh, my kitchen exploits included lamb shanks with fennel, strawberry mousse, and also a strawberry almond porridge. Mm. I had a uh, I have a glut of frozen strawberries left over from the mini fest before last when I made the strawberry surprise crumble. Right. These strawberries, going back to our uh, ketoing on a budget, the frozen strawberries just happened to be on a ridiculous sale the the weekend I was making the strawberry surprise crumble for the mini fest. So I came home with <laughs> like pounds and pounds of really cheap frozen strawberries. Awesome. So, but that's kind of inspired me. So now I'm like, okay, what all can I make with all these frozen strawberries? So there's been a lot, lots of strawberries going on this week. And um, so it's all strawberries all the time over here right now. Mm. And then I've been finalizing recipes and wrapping up a project I'm working on with the lovely Kim Howerton, which is still due to launch March 1st. So that's coming at us rapidly. Yeah. What about you? What have you been up to? Oh, my God. I feel like I just hit a gold mine. I've, you know, I've been working on pasta, keto pasta. Mm-hmm. And I think I've nailed it. And, and I don't mean like, oh, that kind of tastes like pasta. I'm talking, it is pasta. It, I, I just don't know what to say. It's so good that I can't just give it away as a recipe on a podcast. I'm considering turning it into a business. Wow. That's how good it is. And, and, and just so we're clear, folks, not even I know what the pasta recipe is. No, so nobody knows. I've been so tight-lipped about it. I'll tell you this much, though. Uh, you don't make it in a pasta machine. You actually make it uh, as a liquid. It's egg-based, you know, so it kind of has an egg noodle flavor. And then there's some molecular gastronomy that goes in there. And then you sort of make it in a crepe pan the same way you would make a crepe, just super, super thin. And it only takes a, a minute or so to cook, and you can literally peel it right out of the pan and slice it into noodles. Or ravioli, or... Lasagna. Uh, I made ravioli last night. Wow. Well, um, yay for no new gadgets, at least. Yeah. Even if we don't have the recipe yet, yay to know that we don't have to buy a new thing. Yeah, we don't have to buy a new thing. It was just, um, just, a, it just, I don't know, a, a little experimentation and finding out what ingredients worked and what ingredients didn't and, and coming down to a particular blend. And, uh, you know... Uh, uh, that's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, we're we're all, including me, waiting with bated breath. So, well, tonight I'm I've invited a few friends over to to taste it, and I'm going to make tagliatelle in a bolognese sauce. Tagliatelle is a you know wide spaghetti for better pictures, or it didn't happen. Yeah. Oh, I have pictures. I will. I will take <laughs> pictures. I, oh, I got a story for you. So, Emmy, my daughter has a friend, Annie, who is like her best friend in the world. And Annie said to me, hey, 
I'm making your daughter, Emmy, a Valentine's Day dinner. And uh, I want to make her a keto dinner. What's one of her favorite dishes? And I said, well, she loves chicken parm that you make with pork rinds, you know. And she says, cool, got a recipe. What do you do for pasta? And I said, well, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> so I basically yesterday made her a batch of pasta and uh, she came over and got it. And she just took one bite. and She was like, oh, my God, that's pasta. I'm like, yeah, but there's no carbs in it. Well, as much as is in an egg, right? Wow. I'm, um, well, I can't wait. And apparently, Emmy loved it too. That's awesome. So that's the big news. So what's the timeline? When are we getting this recipe? Well, I don't have a timeline yet, but I do have a blog post, which you can find at pasta.2keto.com, where I'm going to put up photos from tonight and videos of people tasting it and uh, some other videos. And in that blog post, there's going to be a link for uh, a sign-up sheet, you know, just a Google form where you can put your name and email address. And when something is available, and I'm not saying what or how, but when something is available, like a recipe or a cookbook or a video or something, uh, I will let everybody know. So if you want keto pasta and you've got to have it, go to pasta.2keto.com. And fill out the form, and you'll be notified when something's available. This is super exciting. Yeah. Yay! So we're moving slowly. I just want to make sure to do everything right and in the right order. So yep. the first thing is Gotta little do it market the right research. Way. Yeah. Well, there you go. So let's give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to a lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And uh, Carrie, the new mugs have your mug on them, not Richard. So anyone who has a mug from last year or before has a collector's item. And I have actually just seen the new mugs for the first time. And <laughs> um, Carl can, can testify that there was a lot of giggling going on. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Hearing about it is very different to actually seeing one in the flesh. So I right. have one in my shopping cart right now. I feel the need to have one in person on my desk. So, um, what would be fun is you, you get a t shirt that has your picture on it, and then you just go shopping or something and see what, see what happens. Uh, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> British, and of course, I'm an introvert. So, while I uh -huh. was hovering over the hoodie with my picture on it, but I ended up with a shopping tote instead. Ah, okay. <laughs> Even better. Because that doesn't feel quite so obnoxious as wearing a T-shirt <laughs> with my own face on it. Yeah. Welcome to America. <laughs> <laughs> I may get to the T-shirt, but right now I'm, I, I've got the stickers coming and I've got some shopping totes coming and I've got a mug coming, but the, t <laughs> the, the apparel will probably be down the road a bit. That'll have to wait. <laughs> So today's winner is Shelly Johnson. Yay, Shelly! Yay, Shelly! And Shelly just won a Two Keto Dudes mug just for being a member of the fan club. And if you want to join the fan club, go to fanclub.2keto.com and sign up. And if you want a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug and you don't want to wait to win one like me, um, you can get one online at gear.2keto.com. Okay, Carrie, what time is it now? It's time to read a letter. Letter! <laughs> it's time for some post, Carl. <laughs> okay. Not today, huh? 
Yes. Not today. All right. Although it was close because I got pretty excited earlier. But. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to read um, an entry from the great big public keto before and after thread, which is on the ketogenic forums, and you can get to anytime just by going to success.2keto.com. And this is from JJR. He shows some amazing pictures of himself. He says, here's a nine-ish month update, and this was from January. So he's down 80 pounds overall. According to body scans, he lost over 100 pounds of fat. That is so amazing. I just, I, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Anybody that loses over 25 pounds just gets an enormous hat tip from me because that is, it's hard. That yeah. is a ton. A hundred pounds is absolutely amazing and it must be just life changing. Yeah. So he lost a hundred pounds of fat and gained 20 pounds of muscle. So he obviously did DEXA scans before and after. And this just goes to show you that you know, when, you, when you're on a ketogenic diet, it's not just about losing fat, but it's about gaining muscle and bone density. He gained seven pounds of bone. Wow. Yeah. How cool is that? That's incredible. And, and, and that's going to put him in good stead, particularly, you know, as you age, bone density just, just through the process of living gets lower. Mm. So to have increased that, by that an amount is going to stand him in great stead in the years to come. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and, and so remember this when you're looking at the scale and you're saying, I'm not losing any weight. You know, you it's not just about weight loss. It's about gaining muscle and bone, both of which are more dense than fat. Right. Yeah. Right. But anyway, JJR, that's absolutely amazing. And we're super happy that you shared that with us and that we could share that with with everyone who's wondering about the ketogenic diet and looking to start. So well done, and thank you. Yeah, well done. He says, uh, there are many other things that have changed for the best in my life that I'm so thankful for. Too many to list, all those non-scale victories. He says, all of this during the most stressful portion of my life. Eventually, I'll write up my story with progressive pictures, but this will do for now. Keto has absolutely saved my life and given me a new lease on life. Thank you all. And his pictures are just astounding. And that brings us to our guest. Dr. Georgia Ede is on the line with us. How are you, Georgia? I'm very well. How are you this morning? Fine. I am um, I'm fangirling over here in, in Connecticut. Um, you know, when, when people ask you at like dinner parties and stuff, like if you could have dinner with one person, who would it be? That would be Georgia Ede for me. So well, Carrie, that that is a huge honor, and I'm so looking forward to, to meeting you. It sounds like you said you're going to be in Denver and maybe even Boulder too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for these conferences coming up, I'm I'm really excited to meet you. Yeah, we'll both be there. Yes, um, Georgia. For those who don't know you, um, you have a fascinating story. Can you start with a, a condensed version of that? I was born in 1964. <laughs> <laughs> a log cabin in Indiana. <laughs> Um, well, the, the, the short version is that I practiced conventional psychiatry for a long time, you know, uh, prescribing medications and, and, uh, uh, offering psychotherapy to people, um, until I developed my own health problems in middle age. So I'd say my early forties, developed a number of 
mysterious syndromes like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue and IBS and migraines and so forth. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm middle-aged, I'm getting older, this is normal. Many of my patients have these same problems. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, long story short, through a period, through trial and error with my diet over the course of about six months, by keeping a food and symptom journal, I was able to figure out a new way of eating that uh, reversed all of those problems. And not just those problems, uh, but also things I hadn't realized were an issue. You know, my mood and my concentration and energy all improved as well, even though I never had that much trouble with any of those things. So, and, and the diet that I ended up with was completely upside down from what we're told to eat. It was basically mostly meat and fat and cholesterol and very few plants and very low fiber. And How did you discover that high fat diet? It was really trial and error. I kept a food and symptom journal and I wrote down, you know, when I was having symptoms and what I was eating and tried to notice patterns and gradually remove things um, until I found foods that, that, that didn't bother me. And uh, so I ended up with this high meat. By meat, I mean meat, seafood, poultry, any kind of animal, yeah. um, animal food. And I felt amazing. And I, I didn't really study nutrition prior to that. I, As most women with a history of weight problems, which I was one, I just thought of food as a way to control my weight. I never, ever thought about how nutrition could affect my physical or mental health otherwise. And I was not taught in medical school or psychiatry residency, eight years of formal training, I wasn't taught anything about that connection. Mm. So I became really fascinated by this. And I thought, well, you know, if this diet improves my mood, what might this mean for my patients? Right. And isn't this diet going to kill me? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to die have a heart attack, you know? So I started studying nutrition to try to understand why this diet would be so helpful. Yeah, I got to say that is exactly why I stopped the low carb thing the first time when it was very successful is because I was convinced I was going to kill myself. I was too afraid of all the, you know, fat dogma and it was everywhere. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's hard, you know, when we get it, it's it's one thing to have to learn something new, it's another thing to have to unlearn something mm. that is so ingrained in our brains. Uh, that's really hard to unteach all of that wrong information. So can I, I, I have to ask you what you think about veggies, Georgia, because I'm, <laughs> I love veggies and I've never been a vegetarian. I mean, I love meat as well, but I do love veggies. I mean, I enjoy eating them, but I also feel better on veggies. And it, it seems to me that, that these days there's kind of like the dietary world has been divided somewhat and everyone's in their little camp and there's like the carnivores are, it, you carnivores the way and <laughs> vegetables are evil. And, and then there's the, the, the vegetarians <laughs> and, 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 and I'm kind of sitting in the middle going, okay, I understand the carnivore. I understand the meat thing. And I'm, thrilled that so many people feel absolutely fantastic and they're resolving things with carnivore. But it, is it a thing that some of us, you know, genetically, some of us physiologically do better on veggies? Because I know for me, I feel better when I eat an amount of non-starchy veggies, you know, your, your greens and, and those kind of things. But I, I also enjoy life more when I do. So, what do you think? 
think you've just answered your own question, which is, you know, we don't have studies. Uh, we've got lots of anecdotes on all different sides of the debate. People who feel better on a vegan diet, people who feel better on a carnivore diet, people who feel better on something in between. And I really think that that's the most important thing that, that people need to, uh, there's, I think food matters hugely to physical and mental health and that everybody needs to understand that, that, that if they're not feeling right, the chances are that if they play with their diet, they can figure out a diet that that helps them feel better, regardless of what that diet ends up being. Mm. So if you feel better with vegetables, how am I? How would I argue with that? That that makes no sense for me not to believe you. And there may be something too that we don't understand. We don't understand um, all of the the ins and outs of the of of these different foods as well as we we should. Um, what I will say is that for some people, um, it seems to be true that removing all the plants um, can help some people feel better. Now, why would that be? Um, I think that that would be because some of us, and this is just a theory, <laughs> uh, some of us have uh, developed damage over time to our immune system and our gut uh, and the natural barriers and natural protections we have against plant toxins. You know, we've evolved to handle a lot of different kinds of plant foods. We've been eating plants for a very long time, most plants, not all plants, but, you know, fruits certainly and certain vegetables probably and nuts and things. We've evolved ways to deal with the natural toxins in those plant foods along the way. But if we have damage to our system, that can break down. Yeah. And these natural toxins can enter and cause trouble. And I think we're all different in that regard. Some of us have a robust systems to handle natural food toxins and others of us don't anymore. I also think that people tend to want black and white answers. Always do this, never do that. And that in any, any kind of scientific endeavor is the kiss of death. I mean, we're omnivores, right? We are omnivores, yes. We are evolved to eat both meats and plants. Yes. And it's kind of like debating food versus water, <laughs> right? It's stupid. We eat both. And, and, and I appreciate your nuance here, Dr. Ede, uh, about some people may be more, um, more adapted to eating plants than, than other people. And some people may have damage that prevents them from getting uh, all the nutrients out of plants without also getting the toxins. And the they are toxic. I mean, plants, their evolutionary defense is chemical. It's not physical. That's exactly right. And uh, so plants defend themselves with chemical weapons. But we have, again, for the plants we've been eating for a long, long time, we're not talking about grains and beans here. Those are, it's a different story with those. Those are too new in evolution for us to be able to handle them properly. But we're talking about fruits and certain vegetables and nuts and things we've been eating for a very long time. Our bodies, and there's evidence of this, we have mechanisms to detoxify those things or eliminate those things quickly or not absorb them in the first place. So um, in not all cases, but in many cases, we've got these systems in place and they protect us. Um, many, many people do beautifully with lots of plants in their diet. So, but some of us, unfortunately, no longer handle them well. So do you not eat any vegetables? Are you carnivore? I'm carnivore now um, uh, for a, a little over eight months now, um, but prior to that, for many years, I ate a very, very low plant 
diet um, and just included the few plants that that seemed to agree with me. And then I changed my diet um, about eight months ago because the ketogenic low plant diet had stopped working for me. I'd started gaining weight on it and my migraines had started coming back and my sleep was off. And um, so I, I wasn't feeling well. And so there really wasn't anywhere else for me to go with my diet other than take the rest of the plants out as an experiment. And it's worked beautifully. What about dairy? Ah, well, I don't consume dairy. I don't do well with dairy. Dairy causes weight gain for me and all kinds of other uh, problematic symptoms. Um, in general, I don't. My my recommendation for people is that everyone should do would 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 it would be wise for everyone to at least do a dairy free trial for a few weeks to see whether or not dairy bothers them because mm. it's a very very common culprit. Mm in chronic pain, in skin conditions, in digestive problems, in headaches, um, all kinds of other things, and in weight control, um, because dairy is a growth formula for baby cows. Right. And uh, it contains hormones and proteins and growth factors that turn on the growth system in mammals. And so, you know, one might not want to be in growth mode every day of their lives. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so I think that's really, that's really worth it, um, uh, that everyone sh- should give that a try. Can we talk about mental health? I know this is Carrie's uh, wheelhouse as well as yours, and I'm sure you guys have a lot to talk about. Absolutely. That's my favorite topic. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think you've watched my videos, um, Dr. Ed. I think actually you've shared it, um, my story a few times. Yes. I discovered by a similar kind of journey to you, just by trial and error, you know, keeping logs of what what was working, what wasn't working, when I was medicated for bipolar 2 disorder. And I discovered after I had a tantrum and fired everybody, that my <laughs> the, the two things that were affecting me and causing my symptoms of bipolar were, were uh, carbs high carb, and also the MTHFR genetic mutation. Do you, what do you know about that? Or what do you have feelings about that? Or I have feelings and thoughts. <laughs> so, uh, the MTHFR mutation is rather common and, um, can interfere with our ability to properly use vitamin B9 or, or folate, uh, which is, which is a crucial, um, vitamin in the production of neurotransmitters and in DNA and RNA production um, and in the methylation cycle, which helps with all kinds of important reactions in the body uh, and in the brain. So You say that so much more elegantly than I ever do when I explain it. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know if that's, I don't know if I'd say that. <laughs> so, so it's really, really important. And um, the, 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 some people seem to do better um, if they have this, th- these different variations of, of the gene, which make it more difficult to, so, so basically, uh, for, for listeners who don't know about this, um, there, the kind of, uh, B9 or folic acid that supp- that's in supplements, most supplements, and that is in fortified foods like cereal products and flour, that kind of folic acid is much harder for our bodies to use because it's in the wrong form. And this is kind of a common theme. It's always best to get your vitamins and minerals from whole foods if you can, rather than from supplements. Is it in the wrong form only if you have this MTHFR mutation? 
Uh, no, it's in the wrong form, period. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So folate and folic acid are two different things. And folate is the form that we find in whole foods. And folic acid is the form that we find in supplements and in fortified foods. There, there are special supplements, and we'll talk about that, methylfolate, which is, which is a better form. But the form that you find in most processed foods is folic acid. And that folic acid is, has to jump through a bunch of hoops to be turned into active folate, which we, which we can use and absorb and into the brain. The problem with taking regular old folic acid um, or eating fortified foods, which most people do every day, is that because we don't handle that particularly well, it can build up in the system in this, in this other form and can cause problems for our use of natural folate. And can even, in some studies, it's been suggested that it can even uh, fuel cancer growth. So folic acid supplements and fortified foods are, are a bad idea. Um, folate from whole foods is a great idea. But if you have this uh, genetic variation um, in, your, in, in the enzyme that activates that folate in, in whole foods, you may have lower uh, active folate levels in your brain. What kinds of foods are rich in folate? Where do we get that? Uh, green leafy vegetables have folate, and liver is a very good source of folate. So those are sort of the, the, two, the top two sources. You see, I sometimes wonder, uh, Georgia, if, if, if my body's way cleverer than I think it is, and the fact that I enjoy and love green leafy vegetables so much is that my body's like hello over here i can't do that can you like give me some more of those veggies because yeah. that's what look that's what makes me feel good interesting yeah you know again no arguing with experience and so um you know th there are some things about uh there are lots of really common things that interfere with our ability to use folate um uh, for example birth control pills um, and uh, anything that causes oxidative stress, such as alcohol or refined carbohydrates, um, which again, most people are ingesting fairly often. Um, uh, the antidepressant lamictal or lamotrigine can interfere with folate metabolism, hmm. um, magnesium deficiency, other B vitamin deficiencies, B12 deficiency. There are lots of things Oh, metformin, which is a diabetes drug, can interfere with uh, folate metabolism. There are many, wow. many factors um, to keep in mind. And then this uh, foli folic acid supplements can interfere with folate. So lots of things to keep in mind. There was even this very interesting study where um, uh, children with a more severe folate uh, processing deficiency um, they were put on a dairy-free diet, and their antibodies to the receptors for folate um, absorption uh, were cut way down, and they were much better able to handle uh, and process folate on a dairy-free diet. So wow. many, many factors to keep in mind. But this is one of the reasons why I always say when I'm sharing my story, now I always say, look, if you have bipolar or some other kind of mental health issue, don't just assume that that eating keto and taking methylated B vitamins like I did is going to heal your problem because we're all so different. And there are all these other factors. There's, you know, age and have you been on birth control and, and all these other things. So I, I like plead with people, use my story as a basis for hope that you can heal yourself. But 
but go and find a, a functional medicine doctor or, or a doctor or a naturopath or someone who understands this, who can work out what you, you specifically need. Don't just think that my solution is is the same solution for everybody that suffers from the symptoms of right. bipolar 2 it's disorder. It's not black and white. Because it is all so complicated. There's so many processes and interactions and variables that can go on. I think it can almost be dangerous to just blindly follow what I do, thinking that there's, you know, everyone with bipolar is going to have the same fix. Well, certainly not. But and I think that's very responsible of you to say that. But also, you know, your story is really powerful and really inspiring and just is a perfect example of how, you know, these diagnoses that we use are, are we use them to describe symptoms that people are having. They do not tell us anything about what's causing the problem. Right. So one person's quote bipolar disorder could be due to a particular issue where someone else's quote bipolar disorder could be due to a completely different issue. Right. Um, it, these psychiatric diagnoses are really shots in the dark for the most part. And, um, you know, I think that what I, what I want people to take away and I think that you do too, is that there's a lot more you can do than you realize. And it goes way beyond medication um, there's so much you can do with food and lifestyle that it, it, I wish more people realized that. Absolutely. But I think it starts with two things. It starts with us each thinking critically about the problem and asking the right question, which mm. in my mind, what, what turned life around for me was, why do I have, quote, bipolar 2? Why do I have these symptoms? Something caused it. I, you know, I, something is causing these symptoms to happen. What is that? And why is nobody else asking that question? Why are my psychiatrists <laughs> not asking that question? Why are my doctors not asking that question? Why am I the only one that wants to know why? I appreciate the way you guys are putting quotes around bipolar disorder because it really speaks to the fact that this is a description of a symptom and as Georgia says, and you say, there could be many different causes of it. So just if because you have a symptom doesn't mean you have a treatment. That has been my experience. It's exactly right. And, you know, if you really sit down and interview most people carefully, many people would qualify for a diagnosis in the DSM-5 in the psychiatric textbook. Mm. Um these are these are really very vague descriptive diagnoses. They're not it's they're not describing an actual biological process in most cases. Right. They're just describing symptom checklists. And you know, most other biological diagnoses in medicine are not done that way. There's something you can measure that tells you this is the problem. Um, and you know, we're getting closer to understanding what causes a lot of mental health problems and no surprise, it's the same kinds of root causes that cause all kinds of physical problems. Hmm. Um, you know, inflammation, oxidation, insulin resistance, nutrient deficiencies, hormonal imbalances, um, eating processed foods, eating refined carbohydrates, hmm. eating vegetable oils, um, you know, not getting enough exercise, not getting enough light, not getting enough sleep. I mean, these are really just basic biological um, needs that we have. I think one of the the... And again, this is me, non-doctor, non 
uh, non-medically trained, but but in, as I've gone through life, it seems to me that one of the things that would be really helpful for people when thinking about depression is distinguishing whether what they're going through is a what I call, and I don't know what the technical term is, but what I call a situational depression versus a clinical depression. A situational depression where, you know, your dog died or, you know, grandma passed away or you you had to move across the country and and you're missing your friends or, you know, whatever. So something happened that caused it versus something wrong with you, you know, um, physiologically. So it's being caused by something like, you know, a vitamin D deficiency or MTHFR or, you know, all of these other things. I think, I think that, that it's really helpful for people to determine where their depression's kind of coming from before they start trying to treat it. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, there's, it's perfectly normal to experience lows in mood when you're going through something difficult, a major loss, a major stress. Um, and one of the things that psychiatrists are trained to do and therapists and other mental health professionals are trained to do is tell the difference between something that's temporary and situational and, uh, you know, expected and something that is more severe and is going to stop you in your tracks and cause significant functional impairment. So it's one thing to, to, to mourn or grieve a loss. It's another thing to not be able to get out of bed, not be able to eat, not be able to sleep, not be able to go to work or school, um, you know, or to, or to feel like you want to harm yourself, uh, which is, you know, very common among college students these days, cutting and suicidal thoughts are very, very common. And those are not normal, um, reactions to stress. And so, I, I see this all the time is that with the right lifestyle changes, it's not as though it's going to change your circumstances, what you're going through. It's not going to change what you've been through in the past. You know, if you have a trauma history, childhood trauma, very common, mm. um, it's not going to change your past, but it can change how you cope with and respond to and recover from stress now and in the future. Even if you look back, and I see this all the time, if you look back on something terrible that happened to you when you were younger, um, it feels different when your chemistry is properly balanced. Hmm. It, you know, you, it's still there, it's still happening and, and it's still difficult, but it's not, go, it, it's not going to affect you or stop you or, or derail you in the same way. You have more resilience when you're eating properly and taking care of yourself. Maybe we could talk a little bit about triggers, both um, negative triggers and positive triggers. Because I think this is a, a, a thing, I, I feel it's our personal responsibility as humans to discover what those triggers are and maybe even where they came from. It's a little harder to figure out where they came from. But once you figure out like what was installed on you, for, <laughs> to use a computer term, um, it, it's, a, it's a bit easier to um, wrap, your, wrap your mind around it and, and see uh, and understand how, how you're reacting and that you may or may not have control over it. I love that, uh, that way of thinking about it because that's where having a, a good therapist can be so, so helpful. Um, you know, even though I focused, have focused a lot of my time and attention on medications and nutrition in my clinical practice over the years, I love, uh, psychotherapy and I love, 
getting to know people and noticing patterns with them and seeing what kinds of things, uh, what kinds of situations um, make them feel worse and what kinds of situations make them feel better. And, you know, having those aha moments with people, there's just no substitute for that. It is so powerful. Mm. And I I think that that often you need a friend or a therapist or somebody because it, it became, you know, life is so crazy and can become so busy that you can literally lose sight of the, you can't see the wood for the trees that, <laughs> that sometimes you need someone else to go, do you not see that pattern? And you're like, Oh, Oh, you know, there was so much else right. going on that we can lose sight of, of some of the basic things that are happening or they become chronic and they become normal. So we don't even recognize them as a problem anymore. So I, I think it could, you know, that for 10 years when I was in Seattle, I, you know, it was my talk therapist, my psychotherapist that, that kind of got me through. And we didn't figure out the bipolar thing. I did that separately, but the talk therapy definitely kept me going and, and, and helped me to, to get through the chaos, even if it didn't actually solve the problem because the problem was, in my case, mostly dietary. But the talk therapy definitely helped me to deal with what was going on better, to look at life a different way, to stop some of my, what I want to call them behavioral things, you know, like cognitive behavior therapy, those kind of things, absolutely helped me. And and in in some instances, are why I'm still alive today because of, of that support from a third party looking in going, wait, that's crazy. And you go, oh, yeah, you're right, it is, but you don't recognize it always. Well, thank thank goodness you are still among us, Carrie. I, you know, I, I, it, it's so. Uh, there are so many people struggling with suicidal depression, um, who either can't get help or or don't have access to the right to the right kind of help, and are suffering. And we're losing people um, needlessly to this epidemic. And I think it's just tragic. And they're they're really all of us. I mean, human beings. We're social creatures. We need support. None of us sees ourselves properly. We need to be reflected by, you know, by others. We need to see ourselves and other people. They need to help us see ourselves. And that's, that's how we're designed to work best. We're not solitary creatures. And so we need help. We need support. We need insights from other people. Um, and there's just no substitute for that, for love and support and connection. Are you a fan of Carl Jung? Dr. Reed? Well, I never met him personally. <laughs> <laughs> of his work, of course. <laughs> Why do you ask? Oh, well, um, I read a book, uh, Jung to Live By, and I was really interested in Carl Jung by, um, because of Joseph Campbell, who is a, a great person. You can go down that rabbit hole. Just go check out Joseph Campbell. But anyway, he talks about Jung and his... Uh, sort of archetypical um, personality traits and divides them up into different sides. And I guess if if you want to understand it in a more modern context, think of the Myers-Briggs test, uh-huh. you know, mm-hmm. please understand me, where you have these uh, different personality types. But yes. this book, Young to Live By, essentially, if if you can take the technical stuff, because it, it is a bit technical to read, so he basically 
says that there are uh, different ways in which people get information about each other, about the world. Some are sensing, some are intuitive, some are uh, scientific and rational. Um, and, and everybody sort of falls within this spectrum somewhere, but not necessarily at at opposite ends completely. Mm-hmm. And and knowing that helps you trust people that you don't understand because you may identify somebody by their behavior, by the way they think, by the way they talk, as being one of these different personality types. And if you're at opposite ends of the spectrum, you typically don't understand them or you mistrust them or you fear them naturally because that's not the way you get information from the world, right? Sure. So it, it just helps you see people as humans rather than being in this camp or that camp. And it also helps you understand more about yourself, how, how you know, the, thinking back on the people that you mistrust or um, who have harmed you in some way sort of helps you peel that onion a little bit. Uh, that's absolutely right. And you know, we're all different. And we need different kinds of people in the world. It, you know, it wouldn't work if we were all the same. And one of the, one of the things when I'm, you know, when I'm, uh, you know, doing talk therapy with people is to help people understand that, you know, parents uh, are all flawed in various ways. You know, they're doing for the most part, they're doing the best they can with what they've got. Right. And uh, that doesn't mean that it was fair or good or healthy for you um, if you had an abusive parent or a neglectful parent. But but having that having that frame of mind, like that, that they they were doing the best they could with what with what they had, can help some people move past that sort of um, you know well this happened to me and I'm damaged forever because of it. Right. To okay, well let me do the best I can with what I've got. <laughs> And and move forward from there and seek healthy relationships now and right. in the future that really nourish me and that support me and that where I grow and learn and feel and, and feel positive about. And the healthy relationships are wonderful mood stabilizers. I think that's that's one of the hardest things that I've found is this whole um, you know, don't blame blame your parents thing. <laughs> and and so the way I've I've kind of learned to look at it is, you know, there, there are things which it was the parents, right? The parents were the problem, but once you reach the age of adulthood, once you're an adult, it ceases to matter that they were the cause of the problems because as an adult, you have the ability to go and do the things that are going to move you forward from whatever harm may have been done to you. So it's not that it changes. It's not that suddenly your parents did everything right because they may well not have done. But once you're an adult, you can go work on things. You can go seek um, help to see things in a different way. You can learn how to see what happened to you in a different way. You can learn how to not be completely railroaded when you think about those past events anymore. Those are all things you can learn. So, so yes, it may have been your parents' fault, but as an adult, you get to decide whether you continue to live out of that pain and suffering or whether you choose to, to do something different. 
if that made sense. Absolutely. I think it's very well said. And uh, uh, to, to follow on that point, of course, there are many, many situations where, yes, the, 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 the parenting was, was, was really traumatic, uh, abusive, neglectful, et cetera. Um, and, and, and these can cause, I, I, I want to be really clear about this, these can cause lifelong challenges for people. Yep. Um, and they can cause holes, so to speak, in the heart, um, which yep. are very difficult and challenging to repair. However, um, I've seen it over and over again that with the right kind of support and the right kind of decisions, um, and uh, people can recover from, from these traumas and, and live healthy, full lives. I do think that it's more difficult. And I do think that some people will, will always struggle to a certain extent, but again, do the best you can with what you have and know that there's, that you have control, as you said, as an adult, you have control over your future relationships, you have control over how you take care of yourself and you have control over how much exposure uh, or how much of a relationship you want to continue with those parents. In some cases, people need to really discontinue having any kind of connection with a, with an abusive parent. And so lots of important decisions to be made. And, uh, you know, it's not easy, but I, but I do, because I've seen it over and over again, I know that it is possible to heal and recover and move forward. So the magic of a high-fat diet for your brain isn't necessarily to get rid of all these psychological problems, of course, but it's to help your brain and therefore you and your soul deal with these, uh, you know, impulses, triggers, if you will, that and and help you and make it easier for you to get the perspective that you need when you need it. Is that a fair statement? Oh yes, and in fact, we now understand so much more about the how diet improves resilience in the brain, our ability to cope and recover from cope with and recover from stress. And eating a proper eating the proper way can actually improve your brain chemistry, um, your brain chemistry's resilience um, mechanisms. So a great example of that, I was uh, just uh, last week uh, gave a presentation at the Metabolic Health Summit in uh, Los Angeles where I reviewed some of these mechanisms of how, for example, a ketogenic diet, a whole foods ketogenic diet can heal some of these uh, stress pathways, these stress response pathways. And there are a couple of key ways, uh, there are many ways, but there are a couple of key ways I just would point out. One is that if you're eating too much refined carbohydrate and vegetable oil and junk food, basically, eating processed foods, what you're doing is you're causing oxidation and inflammation throughout the brain, and that can raise your glutamate levels. Glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter. It's basically the brain's gas pedal, right. and uh, it, it can raise the levels of glutamate, uh, that neurotransmitter, that gas pedal neurotransmitter, up to 100 times its normal level. And, and that is very toxic to the brain and can damage uh, a lot of um, cells and proteins and DNA and, and lipids in the brain, so cause structural damage. But it can also lower your levels of this really important resilience factor called BDNF, hmm. brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is there to support and grow 
and nourish cells. And and BDNF, if you have low levels of BDNF, it's hard for your brain to recover from stress. So um, we now understand so much better about why a bad diet can actually destabilize your brain chemistry and make it harder. I mean, we are we are designed to deal with stress. All animals, all creatures have to deal with stress. Right. But why is it that so many of us are having such a hard time recovering from stressful situations nowadays? So one of the things that uh, you've mentioned uh, several times is, or you, you've referred to mental health as an epidemic. And it does seem, you know, everywhere you see now, it's like like so many people seem to be depressed or, or having suicidal episodes or like mental health is becoming this huge monster. Do you actually think that it's worse than it was or do you think it's slowly becoming more, we're just seeing more of it, not because it wasn't there before, but because people are talking about it or people are more open or people are more prepared to come out and say what's going on for them? Or do you actually think more people are suffering? I think it's both. Um, there's no way to prove this definitively. Um, the studies are, uh, the, the, the best studies we have available suggest that the rates are increasing of mental illness. But then there is also, of course, this very important um, uh, factor, which is we are talking about it more. There's less stigma about it. People are seeking help more often. Um, and we're actually asking these questions and looking for these problems uh, in our society in ways that we didn't before. Both are true. Um, and even even in my, let's see, 13 or 14 years as a as a college mental health uh, specialist in college college settings, it's documented that um, I mean we felt it, we saw it every day, but we but there are also studies that show this. Every year, more and more students coming in for help. Every year, in more dire situations, uh, rates of suicidal thinking are going up, rates of cutting are going up, rates of crisis visits are going up. And, you know, college services are overwhelmed and we have more and more students arriving on campus who are who are not able to cope even with minor stress hmm. without lots and lots of support. And more and more students arriving on campus already taking several psychiatric medications at the age of 18. So um, it, it, this is a very, very well-known uh, uh, problem. And you know these are our young people. These are supposed to be people in the prime of their lives at the at the you know at the best of health. And so I think this is a bad sign for us going forward. How much of this do you think is is caused directly or indirectly by diet? It's impossible to know, um, yeah. but uh, but but I, I think that uh, my my opinion, and I'm not alone in this, is that. Um, if you look at the trends, you can see that mental health, the, the, the increase in mental health problems closely around the world closely parallels the increase in physical health problems that are associated with the modernization of our diet, the industrialization of our lifestyle, particularly diet. So um, we, there's no, you can't prove this. But this is, uh, the, you know, this is, I think, a, a major contributor. And now that we understand so much more about how insulin resistance, high insulin levels, um, processed foods contributing to metabolic damage, we understand now so much better that those are not just problems that can cause diabetes and heart disease and um, uh, and other kinds of and, and cancer and other kinds of uh, 
physical health problems, we now understand that insulin resistance and high insulin levels, um, inflammation, oxidation, et cetera, um, are, can directly cause mental health problems as well. The, the literature on Alzheimer's disease is crystal clear on this point. Mm. And uh, we've now got emerging science about how high insulin levels and uh, junk foods and so forth contribute directly to depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, autism, uh, you name it. I mean, basically causing brain damage. And uh, why should the brain be any different than the body? Right. So what can people do? What what can, you know, our listeners, what can we do? What should we do to, to tackle this epidemic? I mean, it's a massive problem. And of course, the repercussions of people suffering from mental health issues just are endless. The, the, you know, the ramifications, people can't work, people can't support themselves, people become violent, they do criminal things that they probably wouldn't if they weren't having a mental health issue. You know, it's just, I mean, it, it, it touches every single person in, in some way or another. What can people do to start helping change the landscape? It really does. You, you've said that beautifully. It really does touch all of us, even if even if you yourself, listener, even if you are not directly uh, um, drug stealing, uh, sorry, struggling with your own mental health problem, I, the chances are that someone very, very close to you is. Um, I don't know of anybody who isn't touched by mental health issues in their family or in their immediate circle, if not uh, uh, themselves. Mm. So this is this is incredibly, incredibly important for everybody. Um, so some really basic things I wish more people understood is that simply by eating a whole foods diet, um, even if you're not going to eat a low-carb or ketogenic diet, which I think is excellent for the brain, simply by getting all the junk food out, and that's hard to do because – most people, if they think about it over the past 24 hours, what they've eaten, how many processed foods did they eat and how many foods did they eat that were simple whole foods like a fruit, a vegetable, a piece of meat, a piece of fish, uh, un unadulterated plain old food that a child would recognize, um, one ingredient foods. <laughs> how many of those things did you eat in the past 24 hours versus how much cereal, how much sweetened yogurt, you know, how much... Uh, how much flour, how much sugar, how much vegetable oil, how much, you know, fried thing in a bag, mm. um, in, uh, granola bars, even, you know, lots of processed foods we don't think of as processed that are high in sugar or high in grains or beans, which are low nutrient, high anti-nutrient foods. Just eating fruits, vegetables, meat, seafood, poultry, eggs, whole foods like that, I think for most people would go a long way towards correcting these, quote, chemical imbalances in our brain. And then for people with insulin resistance or high insulin levels, high blood sugar levels with carbohydrate metabolism damage, which is now the majority of us, may need to eat a low-carbohydrate or ketogenic version of that same diet mm. in order to get the insulin levels down and get the nutrients to the brain um, to, to energize cells. Because if you have insulin resistance, high insulin levels, you've been eating too many of the wrong carbohydrates too often, you've got these big spikes and crashes in blood sugar and insulin through many, many years, that damages your brain's ability to process glucose and turn it into energy. Mm -hmm. So those people, which is now again most of us, <laughs> um, we need to feed our brains with more ketones and less glucose. And the only way to do that naturally and the best way to do that is to lower your insulin levels by lowering your carbohydrate 
intake enough so that you start generating ketones inside your body from fat. And those ketones cross into the brain easily. Even if you have severe insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, ketones cross in Mm -hmm. beautifully and the brain burns them beautifully. Intermittent fasting as well is another way that you can, it's sort of the ultimate ketogenic diet, isn't it? It can be depending on what you eat during your eating windows. Yes. So I think that that's, you know, one caveat I have about fasting is that um, I think it still matters very much what you eat when when you are eating. And I also would just caution people with tendencies toward eating disordered behavior or obsessive compulsive tendencies or perfectionistic tendencies or body image or a history of anorexia. Um, Very, very important not to use fasting as your first tool, but to first focus on the quality of your diet and to work with somebody around, if you're going to consider fasting, to work with somebody, make sure you're not going down an unhealthy path with your with your um, eating patterns. Well said. One more question before we wrap this up, and I want to know how you feel about cannabis for mental health. I don't have a strong opinion about it. Um, I I don't have a lot of experience with it. I have many, many, many students come to me asking for prescriptions for cannabis um, before it became um, legalized in Massachusetts. Um, and available in Massachusetts. Um, I have definitely worked with students who have found it very, very helpful. And I would not argue with that. I would say that I, my, my, my first philosophy is always to correct, um, through, uh, through lifestyle before using exogenous substances like exogenous ketones or cannabis or other kind or, or ketamine or other kinds of substances. However, um, my understanding is that cannabis is a relatively safe compared to other drugs approach for people who haven't been able to find relief in other ways. Yeah. And I just, just, I know CBD oil is a, is a big thing right now. And just a word of caution to people. I know that most people seem to get a lot of benefits out of using CBD oil, particularly pain relief and also helping sleep. But I am one of those people that CBD oil caused massive anxiety, which is something I've never suffered from before. Turns out I'm the same way, Carrie. I I stopped because of anxiety. Don't assume that that because something works fabulously for the majority that you're going to get the same result and approach all of these things with caution and a suck it and see approach rather than, oh, I'm going to do this because it it, it is going to work. It might not. So just be, whatever you try, be prepared and be vigilant about watching for symptoms um, that it might be causing that you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic point. I've seen people have psychotic episodes where they've never had one before or severe panic attacks um, using, using cannabis. Uh, for sensitive people, it can be the wrong approach. Um, absolutely true. And, you know, people, for people who are using it for pain, you know, I always, again, it's sort of this root cause philosophy is, you know, why do you have the pain in the first place? Right. You know, is there something that's causing that pain? For example, a diet that is promoting inflammation. Um, and so th- those are the kinds of questions I love to ask. But, but um, there is still a role for medications and drugs and supplements and things like that 
when when other approaches haven't worked. I'm not saying that there isn't still a role for those things because, you know, sometimes even with the best possible lifestyle changes, there can be, this is my theory, no proof of this, there may be still be some damage, some permanent damage done that can't be corrected with diet. Mm. And so I'm not, and, and, and there are also situations in which dietary changes are going to take too long or might not be feasible in certain situations. So I think there is a role for, you know, chemical manipulation, um, but uh, always best to use lifestyle first if you can. Dr. Eid, it's been a pleasure, and the time has gone by way too fast. We could go on and on for hours, I'm oh, sure. I could, I could speak. I could talk to you nonstop for a month and not even vaguely begin to get bored, but yeah. Carl's going to cut us off now, I think. <laughs> I feel the same way. It's been a really wonderful conversation. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you in Denver. Great. I look forward to it. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Wow, that was great. What a, what a what a wonderful person, extremely smart. I just love Dr. Ede, and if that was one of those questions where you're asked who you would want to have dinner with, Georgia would be my pick for a dinner date. Well, she's a fan of yours too, and so I I think in uh, Denver that will probably happen. I am sure I'm hoping so, and I hope I can um. Uh, use my English stiff upper lip and not be too fangirly. Very good. Well, uh, uh, Carrie, do you have one of those things that you read to make a, a, a food dish or something? What are those things called? A recipe. Yes, I do have a recipe. <laughs> okay, well, it's time for recipes. Could you say you'll do for a little Thank goodness we have you, Carl. What would we do without you? I don't know. <laughs> so today we're heading south, and also I'm I'm still on the ketoing on a budget uh, uh, train, mm-hmm. but we're heading south to do some southern cooking. Uh, I came up with a creamy Cajun sausage skillet. Wow! And there's lots of great things about this recipe not least of which is the fact that it's a one-pan recipe, which means no dishes. And <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Though for, for a weeknight, those are my absolutely favorite kind of recipes. Mm. So we'll post a link in the show notes to the recipe so you can cook it yourself. But right. this is what we're going to need. We're going to need a little bit of avocado or coconut oil, depending on what you prefer to cook in. We're going to need two ounces of onion that's been finely chopped, two ounces of, I said red, red pepper finely chopped, but um, if I were you, I'd buy whatever pepper, whatever color pepper was cheapest at the mm. market when I go there. Um, you're going to need eight ounces of riced cauliflower, or if it's cheaper, buy a head and rice it yourself. Okay. You're going to need half a cup of chicken stock, uh, a little bit of salt, Then you're going to need, in the spice department, you're going to need half a teaspoon of cayenne pepper, one teaspoon of paprika, half a teaspoon of white pepper, so that's the powdered white pepper, half a teaspoon of onion powder, half a teaspoon of dried oregano, sorry, oregano. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And half a teaspoon of dried thyme. Then you're going to need a pound of cooked sausage which you're going to slice diagonally into quarter-inch slices. So okay. whatever 
you know, you can use kibasa or, you know, whatever cooked sausage you like, or you can buy your favorite sausage and then cut it up, slice it up yourself. Okay. And then you're going to need four ounces of cream cheese. Nice. And this is how it's all going to come together. You're going to heat the avocado or coconut oil in a pan over medium heat and saute the onions for five minutes. Then you're going to add the pepper, the the red pepper, the rice cauliflower, the chicken stock, the salt, and all the spices and herbs. You're going to bring it to the boil. Then you're going to reduce the heat and simmer it for 20 minutes. Mm. Then you're going to add the sliced cooked sausage and mix well. And then you're going to add the cream cheese and stir it until it's completely melted and everything is coated in melted cheese. And then you're going to eat it and mm-hmm. one pan and and super fast, a ton of flavor, very simple, very keto, just awesome. Now, there's some, there's some things you can do to vary it, like, as I said, use whatever color pepper you have available or is cheapest. Mm-hmm. Um, stick to white or yellow onions for the lowest carb count. If it's cheaper, you can rice your own cauliflower, as I mentioned earlier, but I find it easier normally to buy. And I actually, when I was making this, there was a sale on, on riced cauliflower, so mm. I picked up the bags. Nice. You can double the cayenne pepper if you prefer more of a kick to your dinner. Mm-hmm. And if you have fresh oregano and or thyme and prefer to use those, stir them into the pan with the cream cheese at the end rather than putting them in the mix at the beginning because fresh herbs are more gentle and more fragile. You will lose a lot of the flavor if you have them in there cooking forever. So Mm. if you're using fresh herbs, leave them out and then add them at the end with the cream cheese. And as I say, you can use any cooked sausage you prefer but I love using smoked sausage or, you know, like a smoked kibasa kind of thing. So yeah. that's what I like to use. If you want to do dairy-free, you can leave out the cream cheese and add half a cup of thick coconut milk. Then you're going to want to sprinkle half a teaspoon of konjac flour, or also known as glucomannon, um, over the surface of the food while it's stirring. Mm-hmm. Um, to incorporate it, to thicken it so that you get the same thickness as you would if you use the cream cheese. So you can make this dairy-free too. And as I say, one pan, very fast, very tasty uh, keto dinner for your mid midweek dinner. Yay. Yay. And of course, we'll put the link in the show notes so that you don't have to take notes while you're listening to this, but I hope that's made you hungry. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I have a recipe this week too, and it's not the pasta. No, no, it's not the pasta. It's cheese and crackers. Oh, this is one thing that we all miss is crunch. And so you've heard us talk about um, Fox Hill Kitchen's low carb bread. So yes, I love that stuff, and I also love Julie, who makes it. Yeah, Julie's amazing. So if you go to bread.2keto.com. That is our affiliate link. So you help the show whenever you shop from there with that uh, link. And scroll down and you'll see a product that says mini rolls on it. But if you look at the product itself, it says bagel holes, H-O-E-L-E-Z. 
And I think the reason that they're changing the name, Julie said, was because people were confusing them with bagels. But, you know, they're the middle of the bagel that, that turns into what looks like a donut hole, you know? Right. So what you do with these, and you get a bag, go ahead, go wait. <laughs> you slice them in half, and you put them on a cookie sheet, and just put them into a 150-degree oven for an hour or two. And what that does is it dries them out and makes them crispy. And it those... makes them super crispy, really yeah. the crunchiest thing I've had on keto. Yep. And they will just, you know, they turn into these delicious vehicles for whatever you want to put on them. Now, you can obviously put anything on them, but uh, a couple years ago, I talked about trisodium citrate, which is one of my go-to molecular gastronomy devices uh, that makes a really delicious cheese sauce. It turns cheese into cheese sauce. And I know you're saying, why wouldn't you just melt cheese? Well, it's so much better when you use this stuff. Trust me, it's smooth and silky. Monterey Jack has become my go-to cheese for sauce because it's so smooth and creamy uh, and mild, right? But if you add blue cheese, a soft blue cheese like Roquefort to it and make a sauce out of that, oh my gosh, that is amazing. So you're going to basically get yourself some trisodium citrate. And if you go to amazon.2keto.com, you can buy it from our store. Citros is the brand that I use. You're going to take a small saucepan, just, you know, a six or eight inch saucepan, just enough water to coat the bottom of the pan. And you're going to take like a half teaspoon of trisodium citrate, put it in there and put in four ounces of Monterey Jack shredded and four ounces of blue cheese, a soft blue cheese like a Roquefort, as I said. Now, is this the sauce that we had at the Minifest this week? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. This is what we put on the flank steak. And boy, howdy, that was good flank steak. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what you're going to do is heat this up and bring it on high and get it hot and, and melted and boiling. Turn it down to medium, but keep it on the heat and just stir, 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 stir on the heat. And pretty soon it's just going to turn into this velvety, luscious cheese sauce. Now, when it's warm, it just... You know, it's gooey, ooey, gooey, wonderful, and you can put it on anything. I can attest to that. Yeah. But if you take it out and put it in the fridge, you can take it right out of the fridge, and it has the consistency of brie. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Yeah. So you can take that right out of the fridge and spread it on top of one of these crunchy uh, crackers, and you've got amazing cheese and crackers. That sounds fabulous. I might have to try that. Mm, yum, yum, yum. I'm not a huge fan of blue cheese, mm -hmm. but I have to say that the that sauce that you made for the flank steak mm. was just blue cheesy perfect for my palate. Right. It was just enough without being crazy. So if you're also not a blue cheese fan... You might like to try it this way. For me, it, it gave enough of a hint of blue cheese, but right. not too much that it was overpowering. Yep. You get the, the creaminess and the mildness of the Monterey Jack with a little blue cheese flavor. That's it. So, and the use of sodium citrate 
mm-hmm. will also help if you're using cheddar cheese yeah. because cheddar cheese has a tendency to not separate, but it can get really oily if it's heated too high yeah. and or too long. So this will definitely help if that's if you've experienced that. I like to use eight ounces of cheddar instead of four and four uh, and, and just all cheddar cheese. And uh, that I put that on burgers, like bacon cheeseburgers. Amazing. Fabulous. Well, that's a show. If you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something that you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at twoketodudes. And make sure you use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. Also, check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Carl Franklin. That's me and him. If Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. And if you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, 2 Keto Dudes Gold. Yeah. You can also see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that's how new people get to know about what we do. I love reading all the reviews up on iTunes. Yeah, it's very cool. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. All right, Carrie, keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.